Polar Pro, challenging the boundaries set by traditional camera gear. Polar Pro is a team of designers who are trailblazing creative freedom for storytellers everywhere. PolarPro.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the No Film School podcast for November 15th, the week of 2019. This is Charles Hain, uh tech writer at No Film School. I'm here with... George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School. And Oakley, writer at No Film School. And we're going to be talking about the technical issues with the streaming media explosion. We're going to be talking about the release strategy for The Irishman. We're going to be talking about delivering your show to television. All that, tech news about a patent battle, and an Ask No Film School this week on the podcast. All right, so the top story this week, Disney Plus has launched. Apple TV Plus has launched. So we are now officially, it's been talked about all fall, it's been coming. We are now in the streaming wars that everybody has been talking about, right? Like Friends is about to leave Netflix because it's moving over to HBO Max, which is coming. Although <laughs> HBO now has already been a thing. Like we are in the middle of it. And we like there's so much to talk about of this subject now that it's all launched. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to uh, I have some friends who work on Dickinson and Dickinson is apparently the breakout hit of Apple TV. And I like feel so warm for them. Like all of the reviews came out and pretty much everybody's like the best thing is Dickinson. And it's always like good when you're like, I know those people, their show's doing well. So shout out to Dickinson for being the best reviewed of the Apple TV shows. But we wanted to actually talk a little bit for this before we separate from content. We also want to talk a little bit about the technology here, which is. We're going from a world in which everybody was paying like, I don't know, 80 I never had cable. What was it? 80 or $100 a month for cable to give you all the channels. And now we're never? moving to- Never? You never had cable? I never had cable. Never? Wow. I don't watch sports. Okay. So- Well, there's, I mean, there was a lot of stuff on cable, but well, no, yeah, but I mean- DVDs, the, by the time I got out of I college- mean, me There were DVDs. And I was like, I, f- I feel like before Netflix, I had Green Scene or Green Cine- which was like the San Francisco <laughs> alternative to like the arty movie alternative to Netflix. And then I had Netflix uh-huh. and there were always DVDs I wanted to watch. And I had a DVD Did you, player. Have you had cable in your life, Oakley? No, I, I'm kind of like Charles. I basically, Never. cable was, you know, for at my parents' house, you know. <laughs> yeah, wow. By the time I came of age and had money to purchase, it was like cable was like, no, that's not going to happen. So wow. yeah, it was, it was a I Netflix scene. I feel like such a boomer compared like... to you guys. <laughs> Hey, I mean, I still would go to my parents' house if I need to watch like a live event. <laughs> I yeah. can still do that. Catch twenty. God, I still have it. I still have it, and it's the bane of my existence, or one of the banes. Anyway, let's yeah talk about <laughs> let's talk streaming. So we're moving to the streaming universe, where if you look at it, if you get the Hulu and the Prime and the Netflix and the Disney and the Apple, I think we're up to like fifty eight dollars a month if you get them all. So we're getting really close to a cable subscription which is sort of a funny place to be in. Now, we're getting, you know, we were all so excited when it was initially just Netflix. But now that the content is all moving into its own little silos, if you want all of the content, you're now back to paying all of the money. But what's interesting is that, so Disney Plus just launched their big marquee show. I mean, Disney seems to be putting all their eggs in the Mandalorian basket. Like Apple really is marketing 
you know, I heard all these ads for C when I was at some store recently and they're pushing uh, the morning show and they're pushing, I was just in Times Square, weirdly enough, and I saw a big poster for uh, Dickinson. So they're pushing, there's like three or four shows at least that they're really pushing on Apple TV. As far as I can tell, the only show Disney Plus is pushing is The Mandalorian. Is there something else well, they're pushing and it's just not reaching Yeah, me? let me, Disney Plus is pushing the Disney catalog and the Fox catalog. And there's that, you know, on Twitter, Disney Plus for a while, some poor person had to post every single thing that's going to be on there. Do you guys remember when that was happening on Twitter? And then now there's a parody <laughs> account that's really funny that like photoshops fake things and fake titles of like available <laughs> on Disney Plus. It's hysterical if you can find it. Yeah. Um, there's so much weird stuff in their library, but the Disney library plus the Fox library is massive. So we're talking not just all Star Wars, but we're also talking about like the Simpsons, you know, there's, it, so we downloaded it this morning in my house. My child was jumping up and down, just looking at the menus. And all I could think was, <laughs> wow, Disney just like, they win. Like they just win even when they lose because the thing is launched with all these technical issues. My son is not going to watch the Mandalorian. It's for grownups. It's for people like me, <laughs> but it's like, there's, but this thing is just like, Disney has a stranglehold. It's like frozen and everything. And um, Apple, I think the interesting thing is that Apple is just pouring, they announced that they're renewing all their shows, which is like that meme where Obama is giving himself the award. Because they're like, it doesn't matter. Like Apple can just drain money into this. Like it, they're going to keep doing it. They have so much to spend, right? There's no losing for them either in this field. Um, I think the thing that's fascinating to me about the streaming wars is that it's kind of like, Imagine, you know, a midnight coup where suddenly I wonder, I haven't like gone on to Amazon Prime, but is like Star Wars not there anymore? And he's like, like, are this, are, are like, what is suddenly gone from Netflix tonight? Or like, as soon as it like migrated over to the other platform, because I think who this hurts, I think everybody thinks this is Netflix, right? Because Netflix was a non, like, their original stuff had been dipping. They'd actually lost some subscribers for the first time over the summer. And now these other things are out here. And even if they're buggy, um, who isn't going to buy the shiny new thing with the new movie stars and the new titles, but also all the old favorites, right? That's So that's where I see it going and, and what I think. But as far as the technical aspect, I don't know. All I know is that there's a lot of reports of Disney Plus being buggy. And I think that it's it's just kind of amazing to me that you can even launch one of these things with so many issues. And how did Disney not know that so many people were going to immediately sign up and start using it? Shouldn't they have been prepared for that? Well, but that's the old challenge we talked about with HBO and Game of Thrones earlier where, you know, when I was growing up, they built a new stadium in D.C. and they had a day where everyone was supposed to go in and use the toilet at the same time. Because, like, it's really hard to <laughs> test... Like, Disney should have had a thing where it was like, all right, every kid in America, you get a free day of Disney+. Plus. If you all watch it at the same time, this one day, and we <laughs> see if the toilets work. But, like, Netflix grew organically. And I remember in the early days of streaming, when it wasn't an exclusive thing, I remember a friend of mine, because we also had much lower standards for streaming back then, right? It was, like, 20, 2009, 2010. And a buddy of mine was like, oh, yeah, I watched a movie streaming on Netflix last night. And, you know, only cut out, like, two or three times. It was really not that bad. Like, it was the kind... Kind of like our expectations were low and if if it cut out two or three times now 
on launch, people would be like, oh, this is terrible. What are you doing? But like, if, so Netflix had the luxury of growing in public at a time when like they still had a strong DVD business and we didn't expect as much. Now that Netflix, I mean, I got to say it, it's a bummer they lost their big cash cows of friends and The Office. I think The Office, I think NBC's launching their own platform called The Peacock, which I love yes. and think is ridiculous at the same time. So like The Office, Good luck Rock, with that. Yeah, good luck with The Peacock. Um, we peacock comedy, as they say. But like, um, but Netflix still has Oof. the best UI. Like of all of them, the one that still yeah, does the best job. I hate that yes. it auto plays trailers now, but it still makes it easiest for me to restart a show I was watching to keep going on. It, the The number of clicks I have to get through on HBO every week to get to last week tonight with John Oliver, and I'm like HBO. I've been watching this as long as I've been a subscriber, and yet every single time it's Tuesday or Wednesday, and I want to watch that. I have to like navigate through all of these menus to get back to it. It's See, I so think they all have their own thing, me. though. Like, I think HBO is always going to be like, okay, it's a little wonky. It's been doing this thing. You know, they've been doing their thing since we were before we were born or around when we were born. But the thing about HBO is content is so good. It's like you're going to go through whatever you have to to get it. But is it um, still going to be good? Because, you know, the HBO mandate, uh, AT&T has said something. I hope I'm not revealing something I'm not supposed to say because I heard this from, like, people. But they were like, yeah, so AT&T's whole thing is they want to do seven times as much content uh, and have it all be just as good. And, like, that's one of those things that's like, no, but, like, you you don't just flip a switch and have seven times as much content and have it be just as good all at once. Like, that's not how that's not how content works, right? Like, maybe a car factory, you just build six identical factories. But even that, if you try and do it immediately, you end up with a buggy car. Like, I don't know that HBO is going to maintain their quality while being able to turn out seven times as much content. It's going to be really interesting. Although, I'm going to say it, go out on a limb, I'm enjoying The Watchmen. I know some. I know there's some internet hate, but I am thoroughly on board. My thought on Disney Plus in the streaming wars, because I'm sort of wondering. You know, we were just talking about oh, nobody's got cable, but actually, I was at my parents' house yesterday watching cable TV, and and Disney Plus was heavily advertising in the commercials for The Mandalorian, and so I was just wondering, like, you know, in the streaming wars, is Disney Plus trying to you know attract people away from the cable market? Uh, as opposed to, you know, other streaming platforms? In in some ways, the 20-somethings are the target of many advertisers. But Disney is probably smartly going after the boomers and the kids. And they're saying, all right, yeah. well, we, we, we will let you, Netflix, have the 28-year-olds who obsessively re-watch re Friends in the office. <laughs> and we will go for the 50-year-olds who watch The Mandalorian and the 8-year-olds because the eight-year-olds have 50-year-old parents who are paying the bill. And that's probably really smart. Exactly. I wonder if they are spending a lot more ad dollars on traditional cable than everybody else that is then. That's fascinating. I mean, I was going to say, yeah, because they were heavily advertising on different channels. And to the point that I was like, how do you get Disney Plus? And I even went and Googled and I was like, oh, sweet. You can get one week trial for free. And like, you know, you're talking about everybody go use the toilet at the same time. Like maybe they're like, let's, you know, advertise heavily on TV and see how many people come over and get our like week free or yeah, even better. But I think I, my, my take, I mean, I think you're right, Charles. I think that they are looking at boomers. Like, look, my father-in-law is going to be 70 and he's a Disney devotee. And my son is going to be five and he's a Disney devotee. So I think that we're at a point now where we have like three generations plus that exist on this world that 
like love Disney for, for a variety of IP reasons. And I think they can advertise everywhere and it's worth it to them <laughs> to do it because I think that people are going to come and not for their new stuff either. Like they're going to come for the, oh, it's Disney and it's got, you know, it's the brand. Like I, I just think that that, like that's the problem. Like here's the, like this is my anecdote that relates to being a filmmaker finally <laughs> on, this, on this subject. When I was contacted, so the feature film I made years ago was with a company called Gravitas that's a distributor. And they contacted us because they wanted, they're like, we're going to start a streaming platform and we're going to put everything in the library on it. And we just need you to sign this thing. And me and my partner who made the <laughs> film were like, eh, no, you're not going to give us, we're not going to see anything out of this and we don't care. And like, we don't like you that much. And like, it's just been a difficult relationship and why we don't care. And it was like, they were stunned and they were like, why don't you just want more eyeballs? And I was like, I, if you can tell me that I'm going to make a single cent out of this and I know I'm not. Because things like it always gets eaten up somewhere along the line and you see a bill and there's like, but it it was just like, I don't like, and what this Gravitas streaming service, like I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't be bad mouthing them, but like, who's going to sign up for this? Like, really? Like that they're going to enter the streaming wars? Are you kidding me? Like when I think about something like the Peacock, I just think, well, I'm not buying that one. And I just think like, and so who's yeah. buying, like, and my... I think the Gravitas one launched not that long ago and my partner sent me a screenshot of their main menu and it's stuff you definitely no one's heard of on the front page. So I think like there's a calculation somewhere being done of like, let's just put our library up there and see what we can get if we charge a fee. But I it, it fascinates me from the perspective of like so much content, so many people entering the fray and what do you have to offer when Disney is out there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. you need at least one marquee property for every single one. You need a 30 Rock to get people to go to the Peacock, although I don't know if 30 Rock is going to get me to go to the Peacock or not. But you need a thing for every single one to act as an attractor. And I'm not confident. I mean, and Netflix at this point, I guess Netflix is really arguing for BoJack Horseman and a good UI. Like those are the things that are really like making Netflix still a viable resource. It is. I think your your point from the beginning is really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how Netflix does next year when so many of their bedrock elements have moved on to other platforms. It's not going to be net Netflix and chill or whatever you want to say is going to become kind of like <laughs> calling tissues Kleenex because Netflix was the product that's associated with it, right? But it's not going to be the product that everyone's using to stream at some point soon because so much of Netflix was people rewatching. Here's another one that we haven't even talked about is like the CBS thing because they're putting a new Star Trek show that's launching with uh, Patrick Stewart. So that's another one that a lot of like devoted fans will probably pay for. But you have, like you said, like how do you get people to pay for another streaming service you have to have yeah. so much good IP. I think it's indicative of the whole landscape right now where it's like, who's got the biggest corral? And it's hard to fight when you don't have one. Like like the story of Marvel and Disney or Disney Marvel fighting with Sony over Spider-Man is kind of like a Sony needs Spider-Man. Like that's the one yeah. thing. Like they have to plant their flag in that, right? Disney's got so much. I don't know. That's just my opinion.
Polar Pro, a company that strives to challenge the boundaries set by traditional camera gear, have engineered a brand new product into their flagship lineup. While setting out to make a splash in the cinematography space, Polar Pro has created an ultra-lightweight matte box system called Basecamp, which was designed to cater to the needs of a run-and-gun cinematographer. Most creatives within the photo and video industry strive to be seen as professional cinematographer rather than just another creator in a saturated market. Just like in mountaineering, Basecamp is the point in the journey that separates the professionals from the rest of the pack that has made it this far. When using the Basecamp filter system, it will enable you to elevate your content as you ascend towards the goal of ultimate professionalism. So the question is, are you going to join the ascent? Head to our Instagram stories to check out Polar Pro's new map box and be part of the climb. Going on to our next topic, Oakley? Yes. So um, I just delivered a film, a documentary that I finished a few years ago to um, NIDA for a public television broadcast. And that was kind of an interesting perspective on delivering for television in general and public television specifically. Awesome. What yeah. format were you delivering, if you don't mind me asking? So for public television, you can deliver to NIDA or APT. Those are basically your the two distributors that all public television stations pull from. And they both sort of follow PBS Redbook. So you can deliver um, like XD cam, which does anyone do that anymore? Or you can deliver, um, you know, a drive or upload and they do MXF OP1A. So yeah, I mean, it was it was like a really long process and the, the technical specifications for pure strict. But then, of course, to begin with, when you deliver a feature to public television, um, you have the option of delivering it uh, feature length, but to get good, you know, but to have a good slot to show because all the stations, it's up to them what they program. Um, you you have to edit it down to, uh, you know, 56 minutes, which is really incredibly difficult to take, in our case, a 76 minute film and take out 20 minutes to, uh, you know, 56 minutes. And that includes like the underwriting pod and the like intro teaser. So, you know, it was really like a, an insane few months that we were just trying to edit it down. How did you get the deal in the first, how did it come to be? You made the doc. Did you know, did you know that this was uh something that was out there, this possibility when you made it? Or did you just make it, shop it around, and then this happened? Yeah, good question. We had totally kind of forgotten or given up on broadcasts, or I should say we like never really looked into it. We did everything like bass backwards. We, we we did like a tug tour, and then we released on like, uh, you know, Vimeo and iTunes. And then we're like, that's fine. That's great. And then we started getting approached by um, different television stations like, oh, you know, we've heard about your film. Would you like to have us be your presenting station? And that's how it really works in public television um, is that unless you're going through one of the pipelines that like PUBS has that's really reputable, like PUV, you can submit. Other than that, if you're applying in general, you there's this 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 heavy influence of the presenting station. So presenting stations reach out to us. Um, and at first we were like, oh, I'm not interested because you actually have to pay presenting stations to, for their time to help you get on public television. And we were like, what? We're going to pay <laughs> someone to get our movie on public television who doesn't pay filmmakers? It just sounded um, kind of ridiculous. But then um, we came into contact with Northern California Public Television and um, they were like, hey, you know, we really like your film. We'd like to be your presenting station to get on public television. And then they showed us the numbers. And we we're like, holy cow, a lot of people actually watch public television. 
And so, you know, with our release kind of slowed down, the, the, the prospect of then getting up on public television and having, you know, millions of people see the film was kind of like, well, we should definitely do this. And so we decided to go with it after they approached us. And so they're presenting station and, and that's, and then we, from there, they apply on your behalf to either NIDA and ETA or APT. Like I said, those are the two like distributors that all public television stations pull from. And so we decided to submit to NIDA. And then that basically just is you submitting the film and them, you know, saying whether they'll accept you. And so we got accepted. And then it was just a matter of conforming to all these ridiculous technical uh, details and cutting the film down. I'm curious on behalf of our listeners, I think, just because I know delivery is such a, I'm sure you guys have both have plenty of experiences with it too, but it's, it can be a pain. What was the deliverables list like? Were there things you had to scramble to put together? Were there costs that you had to incur at that point that you, you know, to format things properly or to finish on the right thing and stuff like that? Yes, there's a list of deliverables you have to meet. And it's it wasn't incredibly strict, but you do have to incur some costs. I mean, even if you're really good at figuring out all these things, you have to, you know, they want the sound submitted in a certain way and they want, um, you know, no sound can be too loud or too soft for public television standards. Um, and and same with video, but that's sort of sort of obvious to have it within their range. But then you have to have a post house. Um, watch it and have a certificate that that they watched it and it conformed to the standards. So, so even if you're really good at doing everything yourself, you're 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 gonna still have to send it through a post house. Although that only really costs like, you know, hundred bucks. Maybe I think we did two fifty with uh, Boston Video Express to have them do a full um, review. So, you have and that to step send is actually it traditionally the- referred to as being uh, QC for quality yes. control. And there are a lot of houses out there like there's dedicated. QC houses. So a lot of times like Netflix will have a list of recommended QC vendors and stuff like that. And there'll be people that you'll be able to use and hire just for dedicated QC. And QC is crazy because you'll get back a QC report where they will have noticed all these tiny technical things, especially if you're delivering like a doc with archival footage, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, all of these technical things. And some of them are not even like flaws. It's just like, they'll be like, this footage is rough. And you're like, well, yeah, that's super eight <laughs> footage from the fifties. That's like the only, the Zapruder film is very low quality. <laughs> you are correct. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, and we had a ton an of interesting that place. And did you have to argue with the distributor about any of that on your QC report? No, I mean, I think with, with public television, they are familiar with documentary being sort of like that, having archival footage being all across the board. So we didn't have to argue on that. The only thing that happened with us, you know, public television is very strict on things that have to be censored. And you have a flag list of things that if you're deciding to keep them in, um, that's a flag. And, you know, some things you can't keep in, but some things you can. And then maybe the station's like, oh, I don't want to show this or I can't show this in the morning. And so the only thing that happened to us, which is kind of insane, is that we accidentally left a swear word in the film when we submitted it, um, when we delivered it. And I don't know how that passed everyone, but what happened was, you know, so throughout, so one of the things I'm doing is I'm like, and it's such an interesting conversation about like, what is censorship and all that? Or at least I was thinking about this when I was editing it myself. So it's like, I went through the film and I had to like blur out uh, the middle finger 
or and like I blurred out a cartoon butt at some point. You know, I was like, what's the line at which th- something's <laughs> inappropriate? You know? And but at some, but at the end of the day, I was just like, well, I just want stations to play this. So if you know, if having a cartoon butt in here is gonna, you know, lower my chances, so I guess I'll blur it out. But you know, does that blur what the effect of that is? Um, but when we actually delivered it, somehow we went through our edits, and then we went through the post house, and then we delivered the final, you know, back and forth fixing everything. When we delivered what we thought was our final film to Nita. They wrote us back, and we'd actually left the word shit inside the film. And they wrote us this sort of, like, horrifying email saying, you guys, like, what <laughs> kind of amateur hour is going on? You guys just delivered as a film that has this cuss word that would incur, like, $1,000 fine to each station who aired it. And we were like, oh, my God. So, <laughs> you know, so that was a bit of a nightmare. I mean, you know, long story short, it kind of happened. So we were trying to conform our time code, so we extended a clip uh, – you know, just to get the time right by the time we, you know, got it to 29.97 and all that. And then inadvertently re-added the word shit into the film and sent it to them and nobody noticed. So until it got there. Wow. That's but I mean, you know, in the end, you almost snuck a curse in PBS, <laughs> which is like almost kind of an, like an achievement in and of itself. If you're pro profanity. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about like HBO and streaming wars. And I'm like, oh, God, like it would be nice to show on there. You know, have to, like that, you know, it, it's almost like, oh, good. There's more swearing. This must be like an edgy film. And here I am, like, you know, blurring out like a a wiener that someone's running after in a field. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> Which yeah. sounds weird when yeah. I say it like that, but it makes sense. So. Nobody warned you when you're going into filmmaking exactly how much time you're going to end up blurring out wieners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it depends on what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, that sounds cool. That sounds really great. Yeah. Um, all right. So up next, uh, our next subject this week uh, and our final subject this week is tech news. And the tech news this week is Apple has given up on their patent fight with Red. And what's particularly interesting about it is I found it really fascinating the message promoted by Red when they announced this. We'll get to that in a minute. This is called burying the lead in Newspeak, where I give you a little hint that I'm going to talk about something later. But first, background. So (laughs) Red has a patent on internal raw recording, which means a camera shooting 4K or above resolution at 23 frames per second and above recording inside the camera in raw. This is why all the other cameras you work with when you work with RAW, it's always recording red. It's it's either paying Apple red patented license fees or it's going to an external recorder like Sony has their XOCN recorder. You used to have to use an external codex recorder for uh, Airy. Like uh, if you're using ProRes RAW, you're going to these external Atomos recorders usually. The weird exception is the DJI um inspire where i think they get away with it because the camera like dangles below the drone and it's technically being recorded up in the drone and so i think that that's how they're getting away because i don't think dji is paying patent (laughs) things so it's like a little sneak but like good for you dji nicely sneak um so apple uh sony pushed against this patent in 2012 they sued to try and win it and lost and sony has lots of lawyers And so when it was announced that Apple was going up against this patent in May, we were like, well, Apple has even more lawyers than Sony did. But, like, what's this about? Um, Because, you know, Apple clearly wants ProRes RAW to be inside cameras, right? They want 
Ari Alexa to shoot ProRes RAW natively. They want Sony Venice to shoot ProRes RAW natively in order to do that. And they probably want to do it without paying Red a licensing fee. Although, frankly, Apple has the money to pay the licensing fee if they felt like it. Um, so they went up against Red in May, and then it was just announced that they lost, and Apple has continued to hold on to their patent. The argument people are making against the patent is that uh, they don't. Red doesn't actually have grounds for the patent. Their prototypes weren't working yet in 2006 when they filed for the patent, and other people were sort of doing the same work in the space. And another, yet another judge, the same as with Sony, is like, nope, actually, Red deserves a patent on this. They get to keep it. But here's the interesting part. The reason why it's not just an update, but what I thought was really fascinating is Jared Land, the head of Red, and when announcing this, was like, but we don't view this as a as as Apple and uh, Red were in court against each other. We view this as Apple and Red collaborating together. And I thought it was really interesting, and I wanted to bring it up because it was like in the in the message he was like, guys, we've still been working with Apple on like better Apple integration for Red 4K play, Red 8K native playback and Funnel Cut. Like we're still working with Apple. This hasn't been a war. Uh, I, I'm probably not quoting that verbatim, but it's an interesting thing that I wanted to remind people that like motherfuckers sue each other all the time and keep working together. <laughs> and the film industry, I remember the first time I had to get a lawyer and uh, my buddy who was like, oh, you need a lawyer for that. Like that fight, you should have a lawyer fight that fight. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the industry. Uh, he's a writer, this friend of mine. And he was like, I'm currently developing three shows with a studio I'm suing. And I was like, oh, like, that's just the way this works. And he's like, yeah, that's just the way this works. My lawyers fight their lawyers about the money I'm owed from a previous show. And we let our lawyers fight it so we can keep working on the cool creative stuff. And so this was Red's patent lawyers fighting Apple's patent lawyers. But I guarantee you that Jared's not lying when he says, but Apple and Red are still working together on stuff. The cool tech nerds, we're still working with the cool tech nerds on developing Red technology and making sure that Red and Apple technology play better together. And like, I think it's still pretty likely we might even see ProRes RAW internal in a Red camera sometime in the next year or two. And I liked the attitude of the yeah, announcement I, where it was like, just because we're fighting in court doesn't mean we're not working together. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, to that point, I know I have a few friends who work in business affairs, which is kind of like the legal, like the crossover between the legal and the um, the legal side of contract negotiations, I guess, with, uh, you know, places like Disney and Paramount and stuff like that. And the funny thing I've learned from knowing these guys as friends is that they spend so much time fighting tooth and nail over every dollar and cent in these mega deals for every project. While the people involved in the projects, and the, and we've talked about this before, part of why agents and lawyers are so integral to the process, but that's, that's how the creative talent gets to have a good relationship with the studio, despite an ongoing like, but you got to give me this, but I got to get that, and but I want this, but I'm not giving you that. And so those those things go on forever. And yet it doesn't, interfere with their ability to collaborate and work on the project or get closer to working on the project because someone else is literally fighting about like every cent <laughs> that it's going to cost because of course the studios want to pay as little as possible and as, and of course the talents wants to get as much as possible and that you need advocates to do that because otherwise like and this is a problem I think at the you know more indie level is like if we have to always rep ourselves then we're more likely to 
to give in because we just want to work, right? Yeah. Or we just want to do it. So that's that's the, the the plight of the indie filmmakers. But what the at the higher level that they have the benefit of, you know, saying like, yes, I'd love to work on the show, but you know, my lawyer is going to try to screw you, and your lawyer is going to try to screw me. Yeah. And I guarantee you, Red Apple was trying to get out of paying the license fee, and they were like, let's see if we can sell this in court. They couldn't, and others can pay the license fee because they wanted to avoid paying it if they could. They realized they can't. They'll pay it. Like, it's funny because when the closer you get to it, the more emotionally charged it all feels. But I am sure that Apple and Red teams were continuing to work on developing this stuff because we all want to see filmmaking workflows get easier. So I was pretty happy with the, uh, you know, I'm like, I think Red deserves a patent. They legitimately, we forget how revolutionary all the stuff they were doing in 2006, 2007 really was. So I'm glad to see that, like, in this case, patent protection is there to keep them benefiting from, like, what was really genuinely a major leap in technology when it came out to the field way back when. Oh, yeah. For those of us who were filmmakers at the time, it was that was the big game changer. I, in my experience, in my point at that time, it was like, oh wow, you can do this. Like we can do this, you know? Yeah, we it can was, shoot on something like this. And- it was so far ahead when it first was announced. Everyone was like, nah, that's not real. That's fake. That's not going to be a thing. <laughs> and uh, it was a thing. And uh, it's it's now old hat to people who are coming up young. But it was it was advancing at the time. All right, that has been this week's No Film School podcast. You can follow us on, you know, nofilmschool.com. has tons of fun articles. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Charles Hain. I also have a pure tech news podcast at weekinfilmtech.com. And uh, I came out with two books this year, one, Business and Entrepreneurship in Film, and the other is Color Grading 101. Check them all out wherever you buy your books. Oh, and I'm going to be at Adorama next week, uh, November 20th. I'm talking at Adorama. So come come say hi in person. High five. And this has been Oakley Anderson Moore. You can follow me on Instagram at Oakley Louise, where you'll mostly just see pictures of my dogs in uh, my house. They're very and, cute uh, dogs. You can, uh, if, <laughs> they are. They, one of them just got skunked, so she doesn't smell very good, but no. she looks cute. And uh, you can keep an eye out for Brave New Wild, which is the title of the documentary I was talking about that is going to be coming to public television at the end of November. I think November 24th is our uplink date. Nice. And I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. And you can check out everything we're doing at nofilmschool.com. Please rate, like, subscribe, and comment, and do all that stuff to the podcast. We are publishing new podcasts every week. We also have uh, interviews that we do that are coming out every once in a while. So keep an eye out for those on the podcast. Uh, Go find our YouTube channel and subscribe. We're going to be doing more content there. And uh, yeah, make sure you read all the posts we're publishing every day. Find us on Twitter at NoFilmSchool. Awesome. See you guys next week.